The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. Everyone who is called by his name, he created for his glory. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now declare his glory to the nations, his mighty deeds to all people. You are created for God's glory. You are saved and redeemed for his glory. Now it's time to proclaim his glory. I'm Bethany Bindemann. Hi guys, thanks for joining in on my first ever Proclaim His Glory podcast. I'm Bethany Bindeman. I'd like to start out today sharing a little bit about myself. My husband and I are preparing to be missionaries to France. We have two small girls, they are five and three years old, and I'm a student of theology for many, many years, and my heart is to proclaim the glory of God to anyone who will hear God's word says, declare his glory to all the nations, his mighty deeds to all the earth. So that is my mission in life, is to proclaim his glory. So welcome to my show today. I would like to start out by telling you about how this happened to me, like how, how the glory of God became so important in my life. It started out about a year ago after spending a dedicated week in prayer. I had set aside this one week to spend in in prayer and in the Word. I would drop my daughter off at preschool, and I would come home, and I would pray. And I'd pray, and I'd pray, and I'd pray, until about lunchtime, have lunch, put my daughter down, my baby down for her nap, and then I would keep praying. And then I'd take a break, go pick up my daughter from preschool. I'd come home, I'd keep praying until dinner time. And then after dinner time, I'd put the kids to bed, I would keep praying. I Finally, one day I sat down and I added up all the hours I was praying. It was about 8 to 10 hours a day at this time. And I was reading through the book of Matthew. And one of the verses that really popped out at me was in Matthew 6. Where Jesus was saying, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body. Don't care about food or what you will wear. Look at the birds of the air. And look, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you as much value as they? God values you more than the birds. Can anyone add an hour to their life by worrying? Do you worry about clothes? See the flowers in the field. And he, he goes through these passages, essentially, do not worry. What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Everyone needs to hear that sometimes. <laughs> but he stops and says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I'm going to stop right there for a moment. Now, if you grew up in the church like I have, if you've been around Christian circles for a while, you've probably heard this line, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You've probably heard the songs about it. I grew up with songs about it. But I never stopped to dwell on seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. And then I realized, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, those are two items. 
But he says first, and he doesn't mention a second item. So somehow the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God are mysteriously intertwined. You can't have the kingdom of God without his righteousness. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the kingdom of God. And God's righteousness is displayed in his kingdom. So they are two items that are so intertwined. And when your focus is on the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things, Jesus said, will be added unto you. Your heavenly father will take care of everything. So I started dwelling on this phrase, his of his righteousness. And I want to share with you um, what John Piper wrote about God's righteousness in his book, uh, The Pleasures of God. John Piper says it this way, Is not the essence of righteousness to place supreme value on what is supremely valuable with all the just actions that follow? Thus, the righteousness of God is the infinite zeal and joy and pleasure that has in what is supremely valuable, namely his own perfection and worth. I love that. John Piper has a way of just putting things into very grandiose terms. And God is grandiose, isn't he? He is grand. He is big. He is vast. And in some ways, he is knowable. And in some ways, he is so incomprehensible. So when I start thinking about the righteousness of God, that which is supremely valuable, I think about the, the holiness of God and the holiness of God as part of the glory of God. Because you can't not have the glory of God without the holiness of God, without the righteousness of God. They're all part of the same now, we need to spend time to seeking first his righteousness and therefore his holiness and therefore his glory because God is seeking his glory. Now, after this happened and I saw this in the word, I started spending time in my prayer um, meditating on the glory of God. In my prayer. I, I wasn't praying in words. I allowed my mind to focus, to comprehend and contemplate and imagine being in the presence of his glory. Imagine being in heaven. You're the only one there and it's just you in the presence of his glory. It is so big. It is so vast. It is so heavy, yet not burdensome. It is magnificent. This magnificent, vast, glorious, and great God, infinite in worth and in value, he created everything for his own good pleasure. When I start thinking about the greatness and the vastness of God, I mean great as in bigness. When I start seeing, thinking about how big God actually is, now my mind cannot comprehend this because I have such a small little mind and the mind of God is incomprehensible. But I, I try because scripture says to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind. 
So I want to love him with my mind and I'm going to try to comprehend as much of God as I can. So and I meditate on the presence of his glory. And I start thinking about his greatness, his bigness, how vast and expansive God is. Trying to get an idea of actually how big he is. And so I started thinking about space and thinking about stars and planets. And then I started recognizing the stars and planets that I see are not all that's out there. Now, I don't, I'm, I don't know a lot about astrology astronomy i don't know it's all the same to me astrology i think is the wrong word i think it's astronomy i always get it wrong so i'm human so anyway it's not my thing i i'm not a science person i'm a god i'm a god person my thoughts and my minds are towards god not towards science so bear with me so anyway i i i consider that I know that the stars and the moons and the things that I can see out in the sky, are, there's more than what I can see. There's more than this. And what I can see is vast. It is big. There's more than, and I recognize, and our minds comprehend, that there's more than what we can actually see. History show, has shown us that, um, that people have been exploring space for centuries and millenniums. So, and with our recent technology, they are able to tell us that our little galaxy is not the only one there. And it's estimated, according to space.com, that there are one between 100 and possibly 200 billion galaxies out there in space. Some places even say that there might be one to two trillion galaxies. And the God of the universe, creator and sustainer, sovereign of everything created somewhere between 100 billion galaxies to two trillion galaxies or maybe even more than that, we just don't even know because he is so vast and incomprehensible in some ways that his creation is ever expand our knowledge of his creation is expanding therefore our god is infinite it's incredible it is mind-boggling so i sat there and allowed my mind to dwell on these items these facts about god he is the creator this is his creation 100 billion galaxies and he holds them all in the palm of his hand as a creator. He is greater than his creation. He is over it and under it and through it. He is holding it up by his right hand. You guys, God created everything for his good pleasure, for proclaiming his glory. He didn't create these 100 billion galaxies because he was deficit in his heavenly realm. He wasn't, he's not deficit in his eternal being. He's not the Father and the Son and the Spirit. They don't need us, but they created everything. They created us in our world, little planet Earth, and little you, and little me, and 100 little old galaxies, 100, 100 billion little old galaxies, 
because of their own good pleasure. God was pleased, and it was good. He wanted to create. He receives pleasure in his creation. So, Psalms tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. And I will say even and especially space. So if you read about space, recognize it's all for the glory of God. Whether there are living beings or not living beings in space, it is all for the glory of God. He is glorified and he is beautiful and wonderful in space and in the heavens. He is beautiful on the earth. And elsewhere in scripture, it says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory. And that is a will. That is a promise. You guys, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory. John Calvin puts it this way. He says that the earth is the theater of God's glory. So you guys look around. How is God showing his glory in your world? And we know that he created all things for his pleasure, for his good pleasure, and brought him joy. And this is for the proclaiming of his own glory. And Isaiah 47, I mean, Isaiah 43, verse 7, it says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. My friends, if you have been called by God, if he called you, and you are a believer in him, he called you for the purpose of his glory. And if you pursue the presence of his glory, you are pursuing the very thing that you were created for. Whew. Take a break for a moment. And I'm going to tell you, I grew up in kind of a hodgepodge of evangelical Christianity. I was exposed to a lot of different kinds of flavors of evangelicalism, for lack of a better term, evangelicalism. And um, it always seemed that people, there was an unspoken idea that the God of representing the New Testament was somehow better, was nicer, more gracious and loving and kind than the God of the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament, there was a lot of more cursing and um, the, he, he had curses and God of wrath and he poured out his, his wrath and his vengeance and stuff on, on the God judgment in the Old Testament. And, um, and there's this kind of this dichotomy, this strong divide between the two versions of God. And yet we still within evangelical Christianity, we affirm that God is the same yesterday and tomorrow, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And, but yet there's this unspokenness about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament and how it represents him. Well, I think that's completely false, you guys. That's just wrong. The God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. He is completely and utterly loving and gracious and kind and merciful and ultimately glorious. Now, when Moses came up to God on the mountain and he said, God, show me your glory. God 
did. But he said, wait, wait, wait. Nobody can see my face and live. It is too much. But I will allow you to see me. I'll put my hand on you and you can see my backside as I pass by. And what a wonderful thing. God allowed Moses to have a glimpse of his glory. And then, that was in Exodus chapter 30. By Exodus 43, God had commanded them to build the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle was done and the work was completed, the presence of God filled the place. The presence of the glory of God filled the tabernacle to the point where no one, even Moses, could not enter it. It was heavy. The glory of God is heavy and it is strong and it is mighty and it is majestic. And then again, in 1 Kings, and then we see it in Chronicles and and in Ezekiel uses this language too, that the glory of God fills the temple and it fills the part of the temple that's called the Holy of Holies. It separates the the most holy place from the rest of the temple. And that's where in Israel, that's where the glory of God resided, in the Holy of Holies of the temple. And this was where God in his glory would meet with his people. He wanted his glory to be known among his people. So he made these ways throughout the Old Testament. This was an element of his grace, that he loved his people so much, and he wanted them to proclaim his glory to the nations. And he provided an avenue for them to be in the presence of his glory, to be at least even associated with the presence of his glory. What an honor that is. And so then we have Jesus, the pinnacle of the glory of God. Now, let's see, the God of the Old Testament, the God of, of, of creation, he didn't need us, but he loved us and he created us for his own glory and his own good pleasure. And we screwed that up. We fell, we sinned against him. We defied and defiled his glory to the point where we couldn't be in the direct presence of his glory. And so God, for his own good pleasure, who loves us, sent his perfect son out of heaven to be born through a woman. And he lived to show us how to live, to show us the path of holiness, righteousness, to point us to redemption, which was ultimately and is ultimately in himself. And Hebrew says that it was for joy that Jesus took up the cross. And he died for our sins, taking our defilement upon himself. And three days later, he overcame that. And he rose from the dead victorious. So that we could now enter in to the righteousness of Christ. That if scripture says if we believe in Christ... We receive his righteousness upon us so that when God looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness and we can now stand in the presence of his glory. In Mark, oh, I'm sorry, not Mark, in John chapter 1, verse 14, 
It says about Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, Jesus was full of glory. He was the embodiment. He was the flesh of the glory of God. And he dwelt here on earth. He dwelt among us. And that word dwelt means tabernacled. Tabernacled in the Old Testament was the place where the glory of God dwelt among his people. And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's what it's telling us here. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory. And then when Jesus died on the cross, it says in Mark, I I keep saying Mark, it says in Matthew 27 that Jesus cried out in a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And we know from the Old Testament, the temple curtain was what divided the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. The Holy of Holies, the place where the glory of God dwelt. So now, the Holy of Holies, the glory of God, is available for His people. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of His glory, for his believers rest upon you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the spirit of his glory says in 1 Peter 4 that the spirit of glory rests on you. That after Jesus died, he rose again, the temple curtain was torn, and then Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and proclaim his glory, to make disciples, teach them everything, baptize them. And he says, lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Now, how is Jesus going to be with them to the end of the age if he's going to heaven? Because that's exactly what happens next. Jesus ascends into heaven and they saw him no more. Well, the story picks up in Acts. The Holy Spirit of God descends upon his people And they are filled with the presence of God. They are filled with the spirit of the glory of God for the proclamation of God. My friends, I want you to get this. The glory of God, the spirit of God is available for you. I would like you to spend time and meditate in the coming week, in the coming days on the presence of his glory. To be like David, who said, The one thing I ask of the Lord, this is the one thing that I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to seek Him in His temple. And finally, I'll share with you one verse and one uh, quotation from B.B. Warfield before I wrap up. And I want to share with you Ephesians 1, 
verse 5 through 7. It says, In love, God predestined us to sonship. Oops, sorry. In love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, which is Christ Jesus. In him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. B.B. Warfield, a great theologian of times past. Um, I'm going to share with you a quote from him. He starts it out, he's a, he's, he says, starts it out with the phrase, the Calvinist. Now, I don't want you to get hung up on this word. It is inconsequential to the rest of the quote. So if you are not a Calvinist, just overlook it. If you are, praise God. But he says, B.B. Warfield says, the Calvinist is the man who has seen God and who having seen God in his glory is filled on the one hand with a sense of his own unworthiness to stand in God's sight as a creature and much more as a sinner. And on the other hand, with the adoring wonder that nevertheless, this is a God who receives sinners. You guys, stand in the presence of his glory, in the righteousness of Christ. He wants you, he wants his glory to be known by everyone, and he wants that glory to be proclaimed by everyone, to everyone. He is worthy. The God of the universe is worthy. So take time to be with him, meditate on him, and then go out and proclaim his glory this week. Thanks for tuning in to Proclaim His Glory. Again, my name is Bethany Bindeman. I hope you like what you heard today. And if you did, please subscribe to my podcast. I have a lot of great content planned for you. If you'd like, you can connect with me at facebook.com slash proclaim his glory and also on my website at proclaimglory.com. Until next time, may grace and peace of our Lord be with you.